Part two, chapter three of a popular history of astronomy during the nineteenth century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio, InterfaceAudio.com. A popular history of astronomy during the nineteenth century by agnes mary clark chapter three part two the next promising eclipse occurred may seventeenth eighteen eighty two the concourse of astronomers which has become usual on such occasions assembled this time at sohag in upper egypt rarely have seventy-four seconds been turned to such account to each observer a special task was assigned and the advantages of a strict division of labor were visible in the variety and amount of the information gained. The year 1882 was one of numerous sunspots. On the eve of the eclipse, 23 separate maculae were counted. If there were any truth in the theory which connected coronal forms with fluctuations in solar activity, it might be anticipated that the vast equatorial expansions and polar brushes of 1878 would be found replaced by the star-like structure of 1871. This expectation was literally fulfilled. No lateral streamers were to be seen. The universal failure to perceive them, after express search in a sky of the most transparent purity, justifies the emphatic assertion that they were not there. Instead, the type of corona observed in India eleven years earlier was reproduced with its shining aigrettes, complex texture, and brilliant radiated aspect. Concordant testimony was given by the spectroscope. The reflected light derived from the corona was weaker than in 1878, while its original emissions were proportionately intensified. Nevertheless, most of the bright lines recorded as coronal were really due, there can be no doubt, to diffused chromospheric light. On this occasion, the first successful attempt was made to photograph the coronal spectrum, procured in the ordinary way with a slit and prisms. While the prismatic camera was also profitably employed, it served to bring out at least one important fact, that the uncommon strength in chromospheric regions of the twin violet beams of calcium, designated H and K, and prominence photography signalized its improvement by the registration in the spectrum of one such object of 29 rays, including many of the ultraviolet hydrogen series discovered by Sir William Huggins in the emission of white stars. Dr. Schuster's photographs of the corona itself were the most extensive, as well as the most detailed of any yet secured. One rift imprinted itself on the plates to a distance of nearly a diameter and a half from the limb, and the transparency of the streamers was shown by the delineation through them of the delicate tracery beyond. The singular and picturesque feature was added of a bright comet, self-depicted in all the exquisite grace of swift movement, betrayed by the fine curve of its tail, hurrying away from one of its rare visits to our sun and rendered momentarily visible by the withdrawal of the splendor in which it had been, and was again, quickly veiled. From a careful study of these valuable records, 
sir william huggins derived the idea of a possible mode of photographing the corona without an eclipse as already stated its ordinary invisibility is entirely due to the glare or reflected light diffused through our atmosphere but huggins found on examining schuster's negatives that a large proportion of the light in the coronal spectrum both continuous and interrupted is collected in the violet region between the fraunhofer lines g and h there then he hoped that all other rays being excluded it might prove strong enough to vanquish intimical glare and stamp on prepared plates through local superiority in illuminative power the forms of the appendage by which it is emitted his experiments were begun toward the end of may eighteen eighty two and by september twenty eighth he had obtained a fair earnest of success the exclusion of all other qualities of light save that which he desired to operate was accomplished by using chloride of silver as his sensitive material that substance being chemically inert to all other but those precise rays in which the corona has the advantage plates thus sensitized received impressions which it was hardly possible to regard as spurious not only the general features captain abney affirmed are the same but the details such as rifts and streamers have the same position and form it was found moreover that the corona photographed during the total eclipse of may sixth eighteen eighty three was intermediate in shape between the coronas photographed by sir william huggins before and after that event each picture taking its proper place in a series of progressive modifications highly interesting in themselves and full of promise for the value of the method employed to record them but experiments on the subject were singularly interrupted the volcanic explosion in the straits of sunda in august eighteen eighty three brought to astronomers a peculiarly unwelcome addition to their difficulties the magnificent sun-glows due to the diffractive effects on light of the vapors and fine dust flung in vast volumes into the air and rapidly diffused all around the globe betokened an atmospheric condition of all others the most prejudicial to delicate researches in the solar vicinity the filmy coronal forms accordingly which had been hopefully traced on the tulse hill plates ceased to appear there nor were there any substantially better results obtained by mr c ray woods in the purer air either of the riffle or the cape of good hope during the three ensuing years moreover attempts to obtain coronal photographs during the partial phases of the eclipse of august twenty ninth eighteen eighty six completely failed no part of the lunar globe became visible in relief against circumfluous solar radiance on any of the plates exposed to granada and what vestiges of structure there were came out almost better upon the moon than beside her thus stamping themselves at once as of atmospheric origin that the effect sought is a perfectly possible one is proved by the distinct appearance of the moon projected on the corona in photographs of the partially eclipsed sun in eighteen fifty eight eighteen eighty nine and eighteen ninety and very notably in eighteen ninety eight and nineteen hundred in the spring of eighteen ninety three professor hale attacked the problem of coronal daylight photography 
employing the double-slit method so eminently serviceable for the delineation of prominences but neither at kenwood nor at the summit of pike's peak whither in the course of the summer he removed his apparatus was any action of the desired kind secured similar ill success attended his and professor rico's employment on mount etna in july eighteen ninety four of a specially designed coronagraph yet discouragement did not induce despair the end in view is indeed too important to be readily abandoned but it can be reached only when a more particular acquaintance with the nature of coronal light than we now possess indicates the appropriate device for giving it a preferential advantage in self-portraiture moreover the effectiveness of this device may not improperly be enhanced through changes in the coronal spectrum at epochs of sunspot maximum the prosperous result of the sohag observations stimulated the desire to repeat them on the first favorable opportunity this offered itself one year later may sixth eighteen eighty three yet not without the drawbacks incident to terrestrial conditions the eclipse promise was of rare length giving no less than five minutes and twenty-three seconds of total obscurity but its path was almost exclusively a water track it touched land only on the outskirts of the marquesas group in the southern pacific and presented as the one available foothold for observers a coral reef named caroline island seven and a half miles long by one and a half wide unknown previously to eighteen seventy four and visited only for the sake of its stores of guano seldom has a more striking proof been given to the vividness of human curiosity as to the condition of the worlds outside our own than in the assemblage of a group of distinguished men from the chief centers of civilization on a barren ridge isolated in a vast and tempestuous ocean at a distance in many cases of eleven thousand miles and upwards from the ordinary scene of their labors and all these sacrifices the cost and care of preparation the transport and readjustment of delicate instruments the contrivance of new and more subtle means of investigating phenomena on the precarious chance of a clear sky during one particular five minutes the event though fortunate emphasized the hazard of the venture the observation of the eclipse was made possible only by the happy accident of a serene interval between two storms the american expedition was led by professor edward s holden and to it were courteously permitted to be attached messrs lawrence and woods photographers sent out by the royal society of london monsieur johnson was chief of the french academy mission he was accompanied by moudon by travelet and joined from vienna by palicia and from rome by tacchini a large share of the work was directed to assuring or negativing previous results the circumstances of an eclipse favor illusion a single observation by a single observer made under unfamiliar conditions and at a moment of peculiar excitement can scarcely be regarded as offering more than a suggestion for future inquiry but incredulity may be carried too far johnson for instance felt compelled by the survival of unwise doubts to devote some of the precious minutes of obscurity at caroline island 
to confirming what in his own persuasion needed no confirmation that is the presence of reflected fraunhofer lines in the spectrum of the corona Trouvelet and Pelissa, on the other hand, instituted an exhausted but fruitless search for the spurious intramercurian planets announced by Swift and Watson in 1878. New information, however, was not deficient. The corona proved identical in type with that of 1882, agreeably to what was expected at an epoch of protracted solar activity. The characteristic aigrettes were of even greater brilliancy than in the preceding year, and the chemical effects of the coronal light proved unusually intense. Johnson's photographs, owing to the considerable apertures, six and eight inches, of his object glasses, and the long exposures permitted by the duration of totality, were singularly perfect. They gave a greater extension to the coronal than could be traced with the telescope and showed its forms as absolutely fixed and of remarkable complexity the english pictures taken with exposures up to sixty seconds were likewise of great value they exhibited details of structure from the limb to the tips of the streamers which terminated definitely and as it seemed actually where the impressions on the plates ceased the coronal spectrum was also successfully photographed and although the reversing layer in its entirety evaded record a print was caught of some of its more prominent rays just before and after totality the use of the prismatic camera was baffled by the anomalous scarcity of prominences using an ingenious apparatus for viewing simultaneously the spectrum from both sides of the sun professor hastings noticed at caroline islands alternations with the advance of the moon in respective heights above the right and left solar limbs of the coronal green line which were thought to imply that the corona with its rifts and sheaves and tangled hanks of rays is after all merely an elusive appearance produced by the diffraction of sunlight at the moon's edge but the observation was assuredly misleading or misinterpreted atmospheric diffusion may indeed under favoring circumstances be effective in deceptively enlarging solar appendages but always to a very limited extent the controversy is an old one as to the part played by our air in producing the radiance visible round the eclipsed sun in its original form it is true it came to an end when professor harkness in eighteen sixty nine pointed out that the shadow of the moon falls equally over the air and on the earth and that if the sun had no luminous appendages a circular space of almost absolute darkness would consequently surround the apparent places of the superposed sun and moon mr proctor with his usual ability impressed this mathematically certain truth upon public attention and sir john herschel calculated that the diameter of the negative halo thus produced would be in general no less than twenty three degrees but about the same time a noteworthy circumstance relating to the state of things in the solar vicinity was brought into view on february eleventh eighteen sixty nine messrs franklin and lockyer communicated to the royal society a series of experiments on gaseous spectra under varying conditions of heat and density 
leading them to the conclusion that the higher solar prominences exist in a medium of excessive tenuity, and that even at the base of the chromosphere the pressure is far below that at the Earth's surface. This inference was fully borne out by the researches of Woolner and Janssen, expressed the opinion that the chromospheric gases are rarefied almost to the degree of an air-pump vacuum. Hence was derived a general and fully justified conviction that there could be outside and incumbent upon the chromosphere no such vast atmosphere as the corona appeared to represent, upon the strength of which conviction the glare theory entered, chiefly under the auspices of Sir Norman Lockyer, under the second stage of its existence. The genuineness of the inner corona, to the height of five feet or six feet from the limb, was admitted, but it was supposed that by the detailed reflection of its light in our air, the far more extensive outer corona was optically created, the irregularities of the moon's edge being called into account for the rays and rifts by which the structure was varied. This view received some countenance from Admiral Maclear's observation, during the eclipse of 1870, of bright lines everywhere, even at the center of the lunar disk. Here indeed was an undoubted case of atmospheric diffusion, but here also was a safe index to the extent of its occurrence. Light scatters equally in all directions, so that when the moon's face at the time of an eclipse shows, as is the common case, a blank in the spectroscope, it is quite certain that the corona is not noticeably enlarged by atmospheric causes. A sky drifted over with thin cirrus clouds and air changed with aqueous vapor amply accounted for the abnormal amount of scattering in 1870. But even in 1870, positive evidence was obtained of the substantial reality of the radiated outer corona in the appearance on photographic plates exposed by Willard in Spain and by Brothers in Sicily of identical dark rifts. The truth is that far from being developed by misty air, it is peculiarly liable to be affected by it. The purer the sky, the more extensive, brilliant, and intricate in the details of its structure the corona appears. Take as an example General Meyer's description of the eclipse of 1869, as seen from the summit of White Top Mountain, Virginia, at an elevation above the sea of 5,523 feet, in an atmosphere of peculiar clearness. To the unaided eye, he wrote, the eclipse presented, during the total obscuration, a vision magnificent beyond description, as a center stood the full and intensely black disk of the moon, surrounded by the aureola of a soft bright light, through which shot out, as if from the circumference of the moon, straight massive silvery rays, seeming distinct and separate from each other, to a distance of two or three diameters of the solar disk, the whole spectacle showing as on a background of diffused rose-colour light. On the same day at Des Moines, Newcomb could perceive, through somewhat hazy air, no long rays, and the four-pointed outline of a corona reached at its farthest, only a single semi-diameter of the moon from the limb. The plain fact that our atmosphere acts rather as a veil to hide the coronal radiance than as the medium through which it is visually formed emerges from further innumerable records. 
no observations of importance were made during the eclipse of september ninth eighteen eighty five the path of total obscurity touched land only on the shores of new zealand and two minutes was the outside limit of available time hence local observers had the phenomenon to themselves nor were they even favored by the weather in their efforts to make the most of it one striking appearance was however disclosed it was that of two white prominences of unusual brilliancy shining like a pair of electric lamps hung one at each end of a solar diameter right above the places of two large spots this coincidence of diametrically opposed disturbances is of too frequent occurrence to be accidental monsieur trouvelet observed at moudon in june twenty sixth eighteen eighty five two active and evanescent prominences thus situated each rising to an enormous height of three hundred thousand miles and on august sixteenth one scarcely less remarkable balanced by an antipodal spot group it towered upward as if by a process of unrolling to a quarter of a million miles after which in two minutes the light died out of it it had become completely extinct the development again from the ends of a diameter of a pair of similar objects was watched september nineteenth and twentieth eighteen ninety three by father finney director of the coloxa observatory and the phenomenon has been too often repeated to be accidental the eclipse of august twenty ninth eighteen eighty six was total during about four minutes over tropical atlantic regions and an english expedition led by sir norman lockyer was accordingly dispatched to grenada in the west indies for the purpose of using the opportunity it offered but the rainy season was just then at its height clouds and squalls were the order of the day and the elaborately planned program of observation could only in part be carried through some good work none the less was done professor tacchini who had been invited to accompany the party ascertained besides some significant facts about prominences from a comparison of their forms and sizes during and after the eclipse it appeared that only the growing vaporous cores of these objects were shown by the spectroscope under ordinary circumstances their upper sections giving a faint continuous spectrum and composed of presumably cooler materials can only be seen when the veil of scattered light usually drawn over them is removed by an eclipse thus all modestly tall prominences have silvery summits but all do not appear to possess the red heart of flame by which alone they can be rendered perceptible to daylight observation some prove to be ordinarily invisible because silvery throughout sheeted ghosts as it were met only in the dark specimens of the class had been noted as far back as eighteen forty two but tacchini first drew particular attention to them the one observed by him in eighteen eighty six rose in a branching form to a height of one hundred and fifty thousand miles and gave a brilliantly continuous spectrum with bright lines at h and k but no hydrogen lines hence the total invisibility of the object before and after the eclipse during the eclipse it was seen framed as it were in a pointed arch of coronal light the symmetrical arrangement of which with regard to it was obviously significant 
both its unspringing shape and the violet rays of calcium strongly emitted by it contradicted the supposition that white prominences represent a downrush of refrigerated materials the corona of eighteen eighty six as photographed by dr schuster and mr maunder showed neither the petals and plumes of eighteen seventy one nor the streamers of eighteen seventy eight it might be called of a transition type wide polar rifts were filled in with tufted radiations and bounded on either side by irregularly disposed compound luminous masses in the southwestern quadrant a triangular ray conspicuous to the naked eye represented mr w h pickering thought the projection of a huge hollow cone branched and recurving jets were curiously associated with it the intrinsic photographic brightness of the corona proved from pickering's measures to be about one fifty-fourth that of the average surface of the full moon the russian eclipse of august nineteenth eighteen eighty seven can only be remembered as a disastrous failure much was expected of it the shadow path ran from overland from leipzig to the japanese sea so that the solar appurtenances would it was hoped be disclosed to observers echeloned along a line of six thousand miles but the incalculable element of weather rendered all forecasts nugatory the clouds never parted during the critical three minutes over central russia where many parties were stationed and professor d p todd was equally unfortunate in japan some good photographs were nevertheless secured by professor arai director of the tokyo observatory as well as by m m belopolsky and gleisnap at petrovolsk and jurjevich respectively they showed a corona of simpler form than that of the year before but not yet of the pronounced type first associated by mr reynard with the lowest stage of solar activity the genuineness of the association was ratified by the duplicate spectacle of the next ensuing minimum year two total eclipses of the sun distinguished eighteen eighty nine the first took place on new year's day when a narrow shadow path crossed california allowing less than two minutes for the numerous experiments prompted by the varied nature of modern methods of research american astronomers availed themselves of the occasion to the full the heavens were propitious photographic records were obtained in unprecedented abundance and of unusual excellence their comparison and study placed it beyond reasonable doubt that the radiated corona belonging to periods of maximum sunspots gives place at periods of minimum to the winged type of eighteen seventy eight professor holden perceived further that the equatorial extensions characterizing the latter tend to assume a trumpet shape their extremities diverge as if mutually repellent instead of flowing together along a medial plane the maximum actinic brilliancy of the corona january first eighteen eighty nine was determined at lick to be twenty-one times less than that of the full moon its color was described as of an intense luminous silver with a bluish tinge similar to the light of an electric arc its spectrum was comparatively simple very few bright lines besides those of hydrogen and coronium 
and apparently no dark ones, stood out from the prismatic background. The market structural features of the corona, as presented by the negatives taken by Professors Neifer and Sharopin, were the filaments and streamers. The filaments issued from polar collots of 20-degree radius. The impression conveyed to the eye, Professor Pritchard wrote, is that the equatorial stream of denser coronal matter extends across and through the filaments, simply obscuring them by its greater brightness. The effect is just as if the equatorial belt were superposed upon or passed through the filamentary structure. There is nothing in the photographs to prove that the filaments do not exist all around the sun. The testimony from negatives of different lengths of exposure goes to show that the equatorial streamers are made up of numerous interlacing parts inclined at various angles to the sun's equator. The coronal extensions perceptible with the naked eye to a distance of more than three degrees from the sun appeared barely one-third of that length on the best negatives. Little more could be seen of them either in Barnard's exquisite miniature pictures or in the photographs obtained by W. H. Pickering with a 13-inch refractor, the largest instrument so far used in eclipse photography. End of Chapter 2, Part 2 Recording by Lawrence Trask, InterfaceAudio.com, Mount Vernon, Ohio.